Now the first chapter and our reading will be from verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, we shall read down and verse, perhaps we should go on reading verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him, which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first forgotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. That will do, I think, for our day. I judge that in everybody's mind, on the face of the earth, that does any thinking at all, there's a desire to know what lies out ahead. Now I know that in our individual life, we haven't any might whatever, and there's not one in the hall could sit down and say what will take place in even 1986. The future all unknown is what we all have to confess. And we also ought to know that there are no powers on earth, nor in existence, that can tell the future even in the bigger sense and in the broader sense. It is the prerogative of God alone to foretell the future. He held that in his own hand. And he will never allow in it to penetrate or to venture into that realm. When dealing with idolatry in the Old Testament, one of the most common things emphasized is this, that he can declare the end from the beginning, and that idols can tell people nothing. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have hands, but they can't work. But God has not only a mind and an understanding, but he has a knowledge of what lies ahead and the assurance that what he knows that lies ahead, he's able to perform. We all make plans. We make our own minds up as to what we intend to do. We're still unaware of whether we'll ever be able to finish what we have in view. But God can hold, open up the program, say, here it is, here's what I'm going to do, and I do it. And all the forces of evil, and all the amalgamations of men, and all the armies of the universe, couldn't hinder it from filling this program, and doing it with perfect ease, with no problem at all. 
I've been just for Isn't it a, an utter wonder that not only does he know the end from the beginning and know all that is going to happen in this world and all that he has purposed for the sons of men, but he has been so wonderfully gracious in letting us know what is coming and what is ahead. He hasn't left mankind in the dark. And he has given us what should be the greatest wonder in our existence. This wonderful volume, we call it the Bible, the inspired word of the living God, telling us what nobody else could tell us, taking us beyond the grave and showing what lies beyond pain, taking us into the distant future what will lie when, when thousands and thousands of years have rolled on. He is not only willing to understand of himself and to appreciate of himself, but he's willing to share his knowledge with those who are prepared to learn. Are you interested? Would you want to know what God has in mind for the universe and for the world and for heaven and for this, this scene that we're in? You say, I ought to be. You should be. He's prepared to let you know. That's why we have a part of our New Testament called the Revelation. He has pulled back the veil. He says, come on, I'll show it to you. And I want you to see it. And I want you to understand it. And I want you to know more. That is a blessed thing to have read it and to have pondered it. Oh, but to somebody I thought the Bible was for, was for Christians. And I'm not a Christian. I never have read the Bible. I never thought of it at all. My dear soul, if you could realize the wonderful, the wonderful treasure that God has in his word for your mind, and for the light he will show you as you ponder his work, why he will bring you not only into a knowledge of future events, but he'll do something far more wonderful than that. He would make you ready for that future day. And that to me is the greatest of all blessings. He said, when I just think you're a wee bit tight, and you're just a wee bit too, too confident. You know, we live in a wonderful age when a great amount of prophetic statements have already been fulfilled. And that gives us confidence to believe in what's yet to be fulfilled. That is, if God had made promises in the past, and these all collapsed. And if God had made promises in the past and had kept none of them, and if he told us events before they happened and they didn't occur, we could well sit down and say, well, that looks not worth the papers written on. It's of no value whatever. But did you know, dear soul, that God foretold the first coming of Christ? He foretold it in detail that would amaze you. He told that he would come of the seed of Adam, seed of a woman. He told later on that he would come through Abraham, narrowed it down, went a little further and said it must be through the tide of Judah, narrowed itself. Then, taking it down again, as he would say, must be of the line of death. Told not only that he would come, to the town where he is aboard, to the beast when he would be on earth, the very beast, 
on the very day the Lord rode into Jerusalem, on the back of the asses, on the back of the coat, was actually foretold hundreds of years before that little creature was in, in the earth and before ever the Lord sat upon his back. Think of that. And it's amazing, isn't it, that the mother of Jesus, Mary, didn't belong to Bethlehem at all. She was living away up in, 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 in the northern part. Yet God just set the wheels going. Brought everything to that pass. So the actual child, the Lord Jesus, was born exactly where God said he would be born. Born of the seed of David, yes. Everything fulfilled. Already fulfilled. But more amazing still. And must have been the staggering thought of readers of prophecy in the old economy. That the one who is so wonderfully promised, that must have been the king, the ruler, and have dominion over all the earth. That that one wants to be put to death. Now this is definitely dear sinner. And dear child of God, listen to it. He not only told that he would die, and he not only illustrated that by the various sacrifices of the old economy, but he actually told that there were piercing sounds in his feet. And there was no man would ever have granted. Would ever have granted of what that really meant. But those of us who have read the story of the cross, we have no difficulty. Telling of a form of death that wasn't even imagined in those fires, in those early days. Thus God not only has made promises, but he has detailed the promises. And these have all been fulfilled. There is a lamb for the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is done, should any schoolboy of nearly see that fulfilled in the gospel message where they took the valley clothes from his back, and they showed, as it were, and the sheep was shown, as it were, before her shearers. My dear soul, listen to your Bible. I have read it a little, and the more I read, the more wonderful it becomes. I just wish I could get them transplanted into the minds of young people. Something of the wonder of their Bible that they would never stop to read it and read it and read it and better still get to know the Saviour of whom it speaks. Now switching quickly from that, I want you to see the same God who told of the Lord's first coming has also equally clearly and definitely told of his second coming. We have as much authority for believing on the Lord's coming back again as men had to believe prior to his incarnation that he was coming the first time. I hope I'm making that clear to you now. Oh, we are saved and no trouble about that. Jesus is coming, saying that love worked. Coming for those who redeemed by his love. Coming to earth as the glorified Lord. Jesus is coming again. For a few Galileans, you remember. And a few followers of Jesus. And they went out one day outside the city of Jerusalem. And standing beside their blessed Lord. And his hands blessing them as he parted from them. They watched him going up into the sky. Wonderful experience, you know. To see somebody leaving by your side. And going right up into heaven. Don't reading that as if it never took place. Think of it. Going right up into the sky. And then listening to the message that was brought to them at that very occasion. Just saying, Jesus, that you have seen go. 
shall so come back again from the same sky, from the same heaven, appearing in the same condition as he went up, he's coming back again. That's the great subject of divine revelation. The world doesn't think about it. They make their plans as if it didn't really exist. But we must remember that we are living. Now let us get a hold of this. It has been our privilege to be on earth. And there might be somebody in this very building tonight. Maybe quite a number for what we know. And maybe more than we could dare to even think of her. And we'd be on earth. The very time when the clouds will open. And when Jesus will appear to call his own to that mansion above. Would you be ready, dear show? We'll be getting at that in a moment, I hope, by the will of God. Now, John, the Apostle, is not the only man in the New Testament who has prophesied. Peter and Paul also, along with Jude and others, probably have likewise been instrumental in giving us prophecy. But I judge all of us without being argumentative. We'd all agree that it was the special favour of John to have this wonderful revelation. We judge that it all came to him in one day. Maybe one of the greatest days in the world's history. When a mortal man had the whole panorama, as we were calling it in our announcement, the whole prophetic youth, all given to him in one day. I'm not saying he wrote it all in one day. I'm not saying he took a down there. He left and took some time before he got to the resurrection. But whatever way he got a doubt, we can see that on the Lord's day, one wonderful Lord's day, the wonderful revelation came to John that we have, as we know, in our last book in the Bible. He was on the air of Cosmos. He'd been banished there. The world of no time for it. And possibly the reason why. Very few in the world are interested in the book of Revelation. They have no more interest in the Lord now than they have in John's day. And they would fain banish his book away just as they banished the man who wrote it away. The world has no time for such a man. Now let us get a little simple look at what exactly happened. You notice that it's what he saw and also what he heard that he wrote. It's called a revelation in the sense that the veil has been taken away and light has been shown on certain matters. And you equally see without me pushing it right at the very threshold of his soul that if the body has been shown are things that will be hereafter. That is, he's going to get a look at things future to him. He clearly That is, it's not a history book he's going to write. He's not going to record the past. He's going to now be able to write things that haven't happened as yet. And he's going to see them. Mind you when he had seen them? He listened to them. Oh, I hope you'll be feeling it, what he felt like. And he had looked at the common glory. He had seen all that had been promised. You know what he said? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Oh, just love me. Just love me. 
longing for the day when all these things would be fulfilled. That would be a great result to these meetings. If every heart that has come inside the Lamina Hall, when this little effort's over, now the earth, the son of the earth, everyone will be able to say to the blessed Savior that's sitting upon the throne, even so come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for thee, Lord, thy duty to see, Lord. Maybe we have some in the meeting tonight, and they're not filled with that thought. There's no joy in their hearts, and they're not saved tonight. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Rather saying the way the prophecy is given. It's from God to Christ to his angel to John and the end of the seven church. That is, it would go through those different for all prophecy begins in the heart of God. And all communications with men from God are through the person of his son. And then you see what comes into amazing in this book are those 70 odd references to angels. Those created beings are equally interested <coughs> in the wonderful glory of their master. And so all elect for getting these wonderful visions of the Lord sent to them and brought to them in this romance. Then again, what we want to say is this. Mind you, these are some thoughts. They're very heavy in my heart. I mightn't be able to get them over to you, but they're heavy with me. No sooner have they begun the work than we can see the big divide. Now listen to me. There are those of us, and I want to dwell on this quite a bit tonight, for this is the only thing. And there are some very precious truths here that we can re-echo in our soul. We have known the love that Christ has sought. He not only loved us, but he still loved us. That's it. Ah, but he has done for us what no one else could do. He has not only died and rose again, but he has shed his blood that we might be washed from our sins. And we're going to take a minute if you want. I had a meeting, that must be some years ago, and each brother was there. Sometimes, you know, preachers, you might know it, but we're not too anxious for other preachers to come to hear the preaching. We look upon them like an inspector coming to a school, you know, and the teachers don't just get through when the inspector comes. And he, he listened to me, of course, as best he could. I'm sure it was hard enough, but he did his best. And at the end of the meeting, he, he sat down beside me, quite nice. And he said to me, Brother, do you believe in washing in blood? Then, of course, what I would have added to he could have, I could equally have added, he said, you know, in the old economy, things were washed in blood. There was nothing washed in blood. And I was beginning to wonder, of course I hadn't too far to go in my thinking, and that's why you might notice that in some of your versions of the Bible, the word wash here is turned to lose. I don't agree with that, but put them up. Just leave it the way it is. Now he loves us. 
40 odd years of preaching doesn't make me any more ready for it. Even I were to preach twice as well as I'm doing tonight, it wouldn't make me any more ready for it. No, my readiness for heaven's not my preaching. And it's not my praying. No, it's not even my struggle. They've got all that might have been in my estimation and I thought of say. But oh, it was the Son of God who loved me. You listen to it, dear sinner, tonight. I hope you'll feed the warmth of it. He loved me! And he gave himself for me in shedding his blood upon that cruel cross. He suffered to make me his own. And now I can say I am pardoned. Papa, I'm just a friend. Saved by my blessed Redeemer. This is the Savior for me. Remember, all who will be ready to meet him when he returns have all valued the bloody shed. Not an exception. Not even one of an exception. Every soul in this meeting tonight. Now come on, we were all burning for eternity. You know, you can slip through life and hardly where you're going or where you're being. You can come and go to meetings. And be sort of comfortable in your own mind and think, well, I must be a Christian after all. I'm not as bad as many another. And there are people far worse than me. And all this kind of stuff. You can prove yourself to your friend. Oh, tell me, soul, have you fled to Christ yet? Can you remember the moment where he died on that cruel cross? Ease the anxieties of your mind and you're able to trust him as your saviour. I'd say, though I didn't say it, and I think I'd have said, but I think I should have been able to say it if I had known it. Hallelujah, it is done. I believe in the Son. I'm saved through the blood of the crucified one. Yes, dear soul, tonight, the hate of And he has washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's what he did for us the moment we got saved. That's our past. Now, I don't know any in the but I know this much. If I could see what the Lord sees tonight, He would see a number in this hall washed in that precious blood. And He would see a number just as thorough as sin to make them, and as ready for hell as if they were ever. May the Lord make us nervous to take these matters and not pray for them in the moment of our Now, you might think it's saved. But when I got saved, the only thought that I had was to be delivered from the consequences of my sin. And of course, from my sin, God never brought those consequences upon me. I judge that most of us were humble enough to admit that. We were anxious to get ready for eternity. We dreaded to be lost. We didn't want to be in heaven. But you know, your Bible goes always beyond what we expect. And the next thing you read about is this that He has made them. Kings, a kingdom of priests, a company of priests with a royal saved through their wonderful position. Because you see, Christ is going to be a king priest for all eternity. And therefore he has made his people, those who he hath cleansed in his blood, he hath made them kings and priests, or a kingdom of priests. I hope you can see this now. Go away into the back past. The mother of you go back, he loved his love was there. And it's still going on. Then there's that moment comes when a sinner is washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ. And then there's a great, great thought in God's mind. And the 
going to make every worse one. Every worse one, I'm going to make him a priest. And I'm going to make him a worshipper of God. Through our God we can. Now, maybe something simple enough for us to think you know that priests are those people that wear a special cloth and special, uh, special education and so on and hold a special position. But when you come to your Bible, every born again person is a priest. And their priestly work will continue for all eternity. And I would say this now. If you're not a priest in heaven, you'll not be a heaven. Now, I don't want to confuse you. I don't want to send you to some college or other to convert with some letters after your name or something like that. That's not in my mind at all. What I do want you to see is this. That all of us see we worship the Lord and we worship God. We're priests. We pour out our hearts to God. We offer to God our thanksgiving. You know, I prayed for years before I was saved. But that's a very different thing to praising. There was no song of praise in my heart prior to conversion. And there'd be no song in your heart when you're not saved. I think I see somebody in the meeting tonight, I don't know anybody in particular. And maybe you're sitting listening to me and you say, yes, well, I believe I'm a Christian. That man being sure that me for I'm not listening to a word he says. Tell me. Has God ever heard a note of praise from you? I wouldn't like to go into eternity without having known the blessedness of praising God in heaven. How do you think you would join the choir above to sing the Redeemer's song amongst that throne in glory if you've never sung it inside you? should manifest what they're really saying and what a life that's in keeping with their testimony. But we want to get right down to basics, you know. Basics. Can you recall, dear young girl? Dear young boy, can you remember? Older friend, will you remember? Could you ever remember a time in your heart when you just, as it were, give the Lord your deepest thanks? And without maybe too much language involved, more feeling than expression. You simply could have put your arms around the one that died at God. said, Lord, I thank you for all that died, for all that set me. This is the thing you said again. And he's made them kings and priests. Oh, he's going to have them associated with him. He's going to have them linked with him. We quote often the words of John Dickey. Maybe some of you don't sing them too often. They're in this book that we use. And they're very precious to me. Yes, O Lamb of God, thy precious blood. This great redemption wrought, not only snatched from burning hell, but through God's bosom wrought, and raised the ruined wrecks of sin above created God. But I said, there's a bit out here. Oh, there are some, listen to it. He's coming back again. Only a comparatively few were allowed to see him the first time he came. Now, there must have been thousands, because he fed 5,000 and maybe 4,000 and 6,000, whatever way you like to get, maybe 10 or 12,000. We're not going to think it's only half of it. Comparatively speaking, there were very few uh, relative to the population of the world that saw him the first time. In fact, his whole activity was limited to the land of Palestine. But listen to these words. Every eye shall see him.
thinking about living. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. I'm no doubt, but that's a reference to the prophecy of Zechariah. For the nation of Israel, in a special way, has the responsibility of having been the ones who pierced the Christ of God and nailed him on the cross and set away with him. They are going to see him. Yes, and they will the cause of hell. Not dreadful. The Lord's coming. So precious. So welcome to the saved. So looked for by all that love him. So dear to the hearts of the redeemed. It's going to be the terror, the alarm, the signal for mourning throughout the whole earth of his existence. Oh, we might have somebody in the meeting tonight. Maybe this is fun. This is party in my heart. I mightn't be able to get it over the way I'd like to, but we could have somebody in the meeting tonight to join that way. Maybe this would be enough of all. If the Lord were to come just now while I'm speaking, clear out of every genuinely born again one, wrapped it into himself, and we'll see if he's making sure. And leave the others to wait his full manifestation to them when they actually wait and mourn because of them. And you have some heat. Well, not address that. Did anybody here careless? Anybody here indifferent? I can tell you there'll be a time come. And if the Lord comes in your day, you join the way. And the soul, and the path, will be left of being ready for his church. For supplements these statements as you know too well. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power. I wonder, dear soul, would you be there? Come on now, you've sat up in meetings many a time. You're not going to make me like this before. When the flames of the Lord's coming are just brought right to your very breast, and you're sitting sleeping about it, are you sure you're ready? Then you're going to gather up the hindrance. If the Lord would come, he could be actually facing the awful judgment. That will be for all that have been his rejected. And he's coming. He came the first time. He was promised. And he came. He's promised to come the next time. And maybe he will come. Are you ready? Are you not? Are you happy about it? Hmm? Come on, I'll be honest about it. 
you really happy about it tonight? Are you sure all is well? Or would there be a secret feeling in your very breast that in spite of all your good living and in all your religious inclinations and all the meetings you've attended and all the preachers you've heard, there's something missing. You're not there. But the Lord's coming. When this day was making fair, if you for the first time in your life were to value the blood that was shed in and look at it as if there was nobody else to receive with you, and to trust the one that died and shed his blood to make you with you, so he's mad. And he's died for me. And he saved my soul, he has set me free. Ten thousand charms around him shed. And best of all, I love his name. I didn't think it was just as simple as that. Would you like it more difficult? Surely the gospel's not the problem. Message that many make 